0: So the present situation, there are two things that we need, first of all, I believe, to divide right now. There are trying to salvage the Thanksgiving dinner, and there are, and there is, the relationship with the mother-in-law, which is going to be ongoing uh, unless Cindy finds a handgun. So she's gonna have to deal with this, and this is a larger issue. This is a bigger picture. So we have two separate issues and we want to divide those but give Cindy some encouragement that we don't have to solve it all now. We just need to figure out how to get her out of the room without feeling this toxic shame that that everyone is against her, everyone hates her, that she has such a low value She's the maid, and her mother-in-law now is the queen of the day. She has lost, and she can't come out because she has, we would say, lost face. She can't face anyone. The good news is that Cindy is a follower of Jesus. And while she does not need cliches right now, The fact that Jesus has gone through some of these things may be helpful to her if she can access that. Now you may need to just sit with her for a minute like Job's friends did when they first arrived. They just sat with him and that was perfect. It was when they started trying to fix him and fix the situation quickly that things started becoming angry. So you go up and you sit with Cindy for a bit and you put your hand on her knee or you're on her shoulder and you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been treated this way. It's not fair that you were treated this way. I've seen the work that you've done. I saw how you have prepared. And I wonder if anyone could empathize or could anyone has gone through what you've been through specifically i wonder if jesus knows how you feel see most of us think about jesus also in terms of clichés most of us think that jesus was the son of god so he didn't have a lot of problems like we do he was never emotional he was never subject to people treating him poorly oh i can assure you that he was and i want to switch gears right now and i want to read a couple of passages and i want us to try to see what people were treating how people were treating jesus and how he can relate to us when we are treated poorly specifically when you are Gentle, humble of heart, have a servant attitude, you become very easy prey to people with this emotionally immature personality. Narcissistic people love servants, empathetic people, gentle people. They love to try to help you with your life because it's obvious that you are naive and you really don't understand that men need to eat, or whatever it is that they're going to try to help you with to make sure that you basically give them their way. Let's take a look at Jesus' family dynamics in Mark chapter 3. A lot of us think Jesus had a perfect family. Well, you have to read between the lines in some of this, but let's take a look. I open this up for your interpretation. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. I'm reading from the ESV. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Seize him, control him. I wonder if anyone can think of a situation where Jesus had an opportunity to eat and he said, I'm actually not hungry. Anyone remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. This is John 4, 28. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I wonder if anyone else grew up in a family where they said, eat, eat, eat. They put food on your plate. They insist that they control your eating, and they control really all of you. Well, it seems like Jesus had a similar family. He was a bit out of control, so so they thought. In fact, they thought if he's not eating, he's out of his mind. And so his mother and brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Wow, we just get uncomfortable even reading that. That passage is in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I believe it's because the disciples were so shocked that Jesus, they were calling and he didn't, go out and get them. He didn't send for them. He didn't tell them to come in. He didn't go out to them. He was setting a boundary. Mom, I'm I'm no longer under your authority. I'm no longer under your authority. People who are doing the will of God, this may be a stretch, but is it possible that he's telling us and his mother, that at this moment, she's not doing the will of God. Something to think about. Something to think about. Now let's talk about his brothers. We're in John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Again, I'll read in the ESV. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jewish authorities were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of Booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, because not even his brothers Believed in him. Now it appeared that his brothers were at the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine. So they actually had seen at least one of the signs that he was doing. But these other things about him raising the dead, healing people. They didn't believe. They didn't want to believe. But they were there taunting him, mocking him. Basically... Invalidating him, invalidating him. If he was receiving that, that would be a significant problem. Jesus did not receive that. In Matthew chapter 16, it's interesting that we read about Peter. When Jesus says he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. You see, Peter believed Jesus was just a bit naive. When you have a gentle, soft heart, when you have a soft, sensitive spirit, you're not very militant, which is what they wanted in a good Messiah. He needed a little help. And the last example I'll give is from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's a year's wages. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone. Judas, I mean, I want you to just imagine this. We've read this story perhaps many times, you haven't really thought of this. What kind of Nerve, gall, arrogance, are you to say to someone washing Jesus' feet that's he's not worthy of that? Are you, I mean, this is, he's stepping in trying to help Jesus because he doesn't think that Jesus really understands economically what this is all about. And he's going to try to control the situation. He feels like actually Jesus needs some help, just like Peter did. Jesus is mild. He's gentle. He's not commanding and demanding. The woman has done this of her own volition, her own free will. But Judas doesn't like it. that he, She didn't check with him. And I find it very interesting, very interesting, that Jesus now publicly corrects Judas. The next day, they are going to be going into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And when they go into Jerusalem, who is Judas going to go see? He's going to go find someone to make some money and to betray him. I don't know if you have ever put this connection together, Jesus confronting the man trying to control him, and him saying, oh, I think I can get control back. It's subtle, but this particular personality, this emotionally immature person, has only one thing in mind, and that is getting their will done. They are not ab- able to take a healthy shame message. And that's what Jesus is delivering to Judas. A healthy shame message. Not toxic shame. He's not sending Judas into a shame spiral and berating him because he's stealing money from the bag, even though Jesus knows it. He just said, leave her alone. And Judas, whew, he is not having any. He, he recognizes He's unable to receive a healthy shame message. Now there's something else that the mother-in-law is doing here. And she says it when Cindy begins to talk about putting the turkey in the oven and burning the house down. Her mother-in-law says, don't be silly, turkeys don't burn houses down. That is in a unique class of remarks, and it's called gaslighting. Gaslighting is its a psychological term. It comes from a 1940s movie where it's a psychological thriller where a man was trying to actually drive his wife crazy. He kept, she kept saying, I think the lights are getting dim, and he said, oh, no, no, that's your imagination. He was trying to get her... Uh, sent to the insane asylum and so this movie is called Gaslight so gaslighting is essentially saying things making statements that make you think that you're going crazy make you think that you have absolutely no reason to think that way I mean the mother-in-law is way out of line but by the end of this conversation Cindy is shaking she's got a migraine She's never had one before, and none of this makes sense to her, but from her mother-in-law's point of view, it makes perfect sense. She's been gaslighted. It essentially means someone who's invalidating you to the point where you think you're losing your mind. And that's where helping, the, helping Cindy understand what she's up against, when you go in to talk with her, is going to be helpful. Helpful. I want to pause right there and see, I want you to chat now with each other. The things that I've said, the verses that I've brought up, the fact that Jesus understands what it's like to be in the presence of emotionally immature, narcissistic people. The examples I've used are from his family and close friends. We haven't even gone to the examples of the people who are supposed to be protecting him, the religious leaders, the Roman government, all the injustice he's going to suffer. Cindy has suffered a lot of injustice, but Jesus has suffered a lot of injustice. If you can validate her and empathize with her, but in a bigger picture, if you can get Jesus to validate her if she can feel in her heart which is where Jesus lives that Jesus at a very deep level understands how she feels and therefore he can help her he went through horrible humiliation they were spitting on him he went through it because he didn't forget who he was he didn't forget his true identity. He didn't let the spitting and the beating and the humiliation and the false accusations, all the people who hated him, he didn't let them hijack his identity. And I wonder, let's talk a little more amongst ourselves, just for a, a quick minute, to see if there's anything that I've said now with these, with these verses, with this spiritual approach Anything you might be able to say to Cindy in a gentle way that she might be able to see as a follower of Jesus, that she might be able to follow his example, it's going to take some humility, but she may be able to come out of the room. Let me give you a minute right now. Okay, one of the things that I forgot to mention to you is the first thing that I would do when I came into a room with someone who is that upset, who is breathing shallow and rapidly, is I would start them breathing. I would go right to their breathing. I would say, Cindy, we have to get your breathing. We've got to get your frontal lobes back online. She is in fight or flight mode. You are not going to be able to help her. She's not going to be able to listen to any logic whatsoever. If you don't get her physiology back under control. She wants chocolate. She wants something that's going to try to soothe. She needs to breathe. She needs to breathe out longer than she's breathing in. You Put your hand on her shoulder and count for her. In for a count of two, out for a count of three. In for a count of two, out for a count of three. That's it, Cindy. In for three, out for four. In for three, out for five, you're going to start getting her to exhale and get her frontal lobes back. Because all she can feel is this, I need to flee or I need to fight. The the thing that is at stake here actually is Cindy's pride. She has been disrespected and dishonored in her own home. And she's been married for a year, and she had high expectations, all of which you can bring up. Your high expectations. You had a reasonable expectation. But now we have a reality. The reality is we're going to be eating it too. With you or without you, we're going to be eating it too. Now, in the true version of this story, I was not in the home when it happened, but Cindy never came out of the bedroom. She stayed. She could not, and you can understand why. She was humiliated in front of her guests in her own home. She was unable to overcome this. And the reason I tell this story is because that's why it's such a great opportunity to say, yes, but... What would it have taken for her to come out? To understand that Jesus went through even worse humiliation. He didn't let it affect him. Now, I don't recommend that she has a good chat with her mother-in-law at this point. I would probably recommend her not addressing her at all. But for her to come out with a smile on her face, tell everyone she needed a timeout, and go on as if nothing happened eat leftovers with her friends at five, which is probably, would have been a good idea anyway, Uh, she will have grown in character. And that's the thing we don't want to miss. That she can get her way. She can let everyone see how hurt she is. But she has an opportunity to actually grow through this. And I would even say, one of the verses in the Bible uh, the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That when we go through humiliation and we don't allow ourselves to be railroaded or knocked down, and we just get up and say, okay, um, what needs to be done? I will take this to the Lord later. I will deal with this later. I will set some boundaries later. And we don't have time to talk about the kind of boundaries that you would need to set with your mother-in-law because she's not safe. She's clearly shown that she's not a safe person for you. And so you are going to need help with your husband to set some boundaries with her. Oh, but that's going to make all of you feel a bit guilty because that's the problem with setting boundaries with emotionally immature, narcissistic people. It always makes you feel guilty. Now, you don't miss them, but you always do feel a bit guilty, and they make sure of that. So you're going to have to weigh these things out and weigh out the path that Jesus is sending you on. Because most of us know someone like this, or we have someone like this in our families. Is it possible that there needs to be some boundaries set? Is it possible that you need to recognize, hey, that's not, that's not a safe person for me. Uh, I need to be kind to myself. I need to have empathy with myself and the other people that they are hurting. And you know, maybe we, we won't invite them this year or next year. Maybe I, maybe I could do for a year off. And start backing off a bit from these people that have made you feel you always need to please them, or else you fear their anger. You fear their anger. You fear how guilty you're going to feel if they don't get their way. The question we need to ask, what is Jesus saying to you? Does he want you to use your time, to use your resources? Right? It takes you days to prepare and days to recover. I, I, basically, when you see this person has taken you a week out of your life, is that the way Jesus wants you to use your time? Is, does this problem have your name on it? And if it does, then you need to continue to serve them. If he's calling you to some courage... Now, that would be an opportunity for you to grow. So I'm going to pray over you now. Father, thank you so much for everyone who's come today. Lord, thank you for the relationships that we have, the good ones and the difficult ones. Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom to know when you're speaking, what we should do, what we should not do, when people are not safe for us, when to have compassion with ourselves and listen to you that you understand what humiliation and toxic shame feel like and you can help us in those situations. I bless everyone with their relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thank you so much. Bless you.